out of the way right now. I got a cold, and so uh, you don't need to be concerned. I, I love today's culture. I came in this morning, and I have a lower voice and some congestion, and some people show uh, a tremendous amount of concern. And I go, it's a cold. I don't have MS or something like that. I, I have a cold. When I was growing up, if I had this and I woke up and I said, Dad, can I skip school today? What would Dad say? Get out of the house. And, uh, and it was, I, my dad had a rule. If you were vomiting and had a fever, you could stay home. Uh, both of those are hard to fake. And so uh, <clears throat> with a cold, you were off to, uh, off to school. I, I do love how we call it today. I don't hear anybody say I have a cold anymore. They say I have an upper respiratory infection, right? Which it makes it sound like you're dying. And so I, I don't have that. I have a cold and I'll be just fine. But we'll pray that I uh, doesn't distract you in our time in the word. I, I'm actually um, super fired up about where we're going in, in the word today. Uh, next to grace, uh, the topic before us today is my all-time favorite topic to talk about with God. Uh, this idea of the goodness of God. Uh, most of you don't realize this, but the goodness of God, the fact that he is good, uh, is, is such an incredibly important topic uh, because the average Christian today, I don't think as we'll see in a second here, believes it deep enough. And, and quite frankly, one of the greatest sins we can struggle with is uh, to doubt the goodness of God because inherent in his character is his goodness, and we're going to explore that today. If, uh, if you don't have interest in spiritual things, if you're not interested in the person of God, then today is going to bore the snot out of you. Uh, and so I got nothing more. This is a, an all-important topic. It's for those who care about spiritual things and the things of God, and I'm really excited to uh, talk to you guys about this today. So let's bow and pray. Cactus Venue and Chapel, let's all bow, and we'll dive right in. Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. As we're gonna to see today, Lord, if it was not for your word, if it was not for your truth, um, I would have very little to say to these dear people today about who you are. But God, you have seen fit to supply for us your word, a 66 books spanning at least a 1,500-year period of time in its writing all come from you. And so as we knit together, Lord, <clears throat> various parts of your word, I pray, God, that you would help us to understand rightly who you are on this all-important topic of your goodness. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin very simply this morning and ask you a lead-in question, and that is, is God good? And before you answer that, let me up the ante and clarify the question. Is God always good? Is he consistently, like without failure, good? Is he <clears throat> perfectly good in the sense that he can do no wrong that God never makes a mistake or a miscalculation. Now I want you to answer it. Is God this kind of good, yes or no? Yes. yes. I sat in my office this week and I guessed that the vast majority of you were gonna say that it's the correct answer. But here's my dilemma. If we truly believe that God is good, I need you to wrestle with me with this right now, then why is it that we act like he isn't at times in our lives. In other words, why do we fault him for his justice or his seeming lack of justice? Why do we get mad at him for our circumstances? Why do we question his actions or inactions in our lives? Why do we blame him for things that happen in this world? 
I mean, think about this, gang. If God is truly good, why do you and I sometimes act like a three-year-old with God who doesn't get his or her way when things go wrong, and, and though we don't say it, we doubt the very goodness of God in our lives? And I know what some of you are tempted to say. You're saying, well, Jamie, you're being kind of hard on me. I don't really doubt the goodness of God. I'm just sort of venting. I'm feeling what I feel. I'm having a pity party with God. I'm, I'm kind of just, you know, having perceptions about him that might not be true. No, don't kid yourself. Here's what's going on. Though we do know that God is good, and most of us give theological lip service to that, Deep down, we don't give enough willful credence to the goodness of God in our minds and enough emphasis to his goodness in our lives. In other words, we do not understand it deeply enough or the significance of it enough in our lives. So much so that we actually cling to the goodness of God like a life preserver in a stormy sea when things go south in our lives. Simply put, if you and I truly deep down believed that God was good, now watch this, you would not blame him for anything. You wouldn't whine to him when things don't, don't go your way. You wouldn't question him when you don't understand something in your life. I'm here to tell you today that if you put enough emphasis, focus, meditate enough on and plumb the depths of God's goodness instead of glossing over it, it will revolutionize your walk with him and your spiritual life. And so today, I wanna to talk to you about God's goodness. And I want to begin, as I normally do, by clearly defining it. What is the goodness of God? And so here is how Bible experts over the years have added up and understood the literally hundreds of passages in scripture that speak to this idea of God's goodness and what it means. And so here's kind of a lengthy but good detailed working definition of God's goodness. And it's this, that God's goodness is the combination of his love, generosity, grace, and kindness, and let's add this, to you. That's the goodness of God. It's the combination of his love, generosity, grace, and kindness to you. And so here's how this works. When you consider that God loves this world, that he is generous and kind by making this world and keeping it going even though we've made a mess of things, and that he even shows us his grace, which is simply his love and kindness when we don't deserve it, and then you add all this together, now you're nudging up against an understanding of how good God really is. This is precisely what Psalm 145 verses eight and nine is getting at, when it says this, it says the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Here it is. The Lord is, say this with me, good. That was really pathetic. Say it again. Good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. So don't miss this. When you take his grace and his mercy and the fact that he is very slow to anger and the fact that he loves in a steadfast way, then you understand, as the psalmist says, that he is good in his core. He is good. So I love how the very famous author and preacher A.W. Tozer puts it in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, This is Good. He says it this way. 
He says, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and quick of sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Whoa. I want to leave that up there for a second. See, here's my problem with you and I today. I'm not sure that many of us see God this way. I think many of us, whether you come from a legalistic background or a licentious background, or you had a dad that was too stern and not very kind to you, or maybe a dad that was way too liberal with you or what have you be, many of us have backgrounds that don't prepare us to understand God this way. I mean, did you know this about God? That God is not some grouchy, stern, or even absent earthly father. He is not somebody who's constantly mad and disappointed with you. Uh, It says he's slow to anger. Uh, Maybe you see him as a heavenly killjoy ready to slam dunk you through the goal of life any given moment. God is not that way. Don't miss this, folks. Contrary to what you might have heard or thought over the years, God's goodness declares it means that he is both giving and forgiving toward you and this world. And as we're gonna see in the moment, he has given us this world and each other and all the things that we have. And then he's even given us salvation through Jesus. And when you add all that up, it's a very different view of God than many people bring into their spirituality from the baggage of their upbringing or this world. It's a paradigm shift for some of us here today. No matter how you slice it, God is good, and this is expressed in his love, generosity, grace, and kindness. Now, believe it or not, what I just shared with you here about this definition of God's goodness is what we might call God's goodness 101 level. In other words, and I don't mean to offend you, but what I just taught you is what we teach our first graders in Sunday school class here at Scottsdale Bible. And that's why they might sing that little chorus, God is so good, God is so good, God is so good, he's so good to me. We teach them that song because we teach them what I just taught you about the goodness of God. But let's you and I now move into the deeper end of God's goodness. And let me share with you two additional truths that are gonna help you flesh this out even more. And so here's the first thing you need to know in order to swim in the deeper end of God's goodness, and that is that God's goodness is rooted in his nature and flows from it. His goodness is rooted in his nature and flows from it. Now, what do we mean by this? I want you to look at a passage that's tucked away in the longest psalm, the longest chapter, actually, of the Bible. And it's a passage that you're tempted to gloss over if you're reading, say, the Bible in one year and you kind of read this passage. Most people don't park in front of it, but the richness of it, when it comes to our understanding of God, is incalculable. So look at Psalm 119, verse 68. It says this, you, meaning God, are good and do good. Such a simple passage, but let's park in front of it. You, God, are good 
and you do good. So what is this saying here? It's telling us here in richly philosophical language that God's goodness is both core to his nature, he is good through and through, you God are good, and because of this, anything that he does is good because anything he does would be consistent with his nature. Don't miss this, gang. God doesn't just act good like some schoolboy who's trying to impress the teacher but knows that he's already put a frog in the teacher's drawer or something like that. That's not God. He doesn't act good, but it's inconsistent with his character. No, God's goodness is core to his nature. It's who he is. And only from this do good things flow from him. You know, there was a time in the history of the world where people didn't have, I know this is hard for you to believe, the internet and television and nice BMWs and all the entertainment that we have here today. There was a time about 200 years ago where the only thing people could do to entertain themselves, you ready for this, is to sit around and think deeply and richly about God. We call them the Puritans. They were the ones who were the forerunners and forefathers and foremothers of our faith today. And it was actually a very wonderful and rich time of which a lot of their writings teach us an awful lot about God. And Thomas Manton was a great Puritan preacher in England in the 1600s. And in commenting on this aspect of God's goodness, listen to what he says. This is really good. He says, he, God, is originally good, good of himself. He is essentially good, not only good, but goodness itself. He is eternally and immutably, meaning non-changing, good, for he cannot be less good than he is. This only comes from somebody who's sitting around without the internet and TV, right? But, but, but think about what he's saying. This is, not to use the word too much, this is good. Uh, he, he's telling us here that God in himself, in his being, defines goodness, and that even if he wanted to, he could be no other, because the very definition of God is good. This is what A.W. Pink calls an underived goodness. The fact that God is the only one in the entire universe who it can be said that there is no external influence on his goodness, that it all comes from within. It flows perfectly and freely from who he is. Let this sink in. Look at how Pink says this. He says, he, God, was eternally good before there was any communication of his bounty or any creature to whom it might be imparted. Whoa. And so think about this with me, gang. In a world in which image is everything, in which what is portrayed on the outside is not always what you get on the inside, where what you see is not always what you get, in which it's so hard to know if what someone presents on the outside is what is truly true about them on the inside. We all have people like that in our lives. God comes along and says, with me, what you see is what you get. I am good in and of myself, and what flows from me is totally and 100% compatible with my nature. 
So don't miss this. God is not like so many people that you and I know, maybe even us when we're honest with ourselves, in which what is presented on the outside may or may not be what is really going on in the heart and soul on the inside. When God does good, and we're gonna look in just a second here at what good he does, but when God does good, it is only an outpouring of what is most in him, namely his goodness. And so it's really important for you guys for us to see that God doesn't just do good things for us because we're gonna look at some of the good things he does, but he only does good things for us because it flows perfectly from his character, which at core is nothing but good. Now, before we get to looking at what good things God does, let's look at one more truth that gets us more into the deep end of our understanding of God's goodness. And it actually does answer the question we're bumping up against right now, and that is where and how do we most see God's goodness? And I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because I wanna wrap up with something very practical here in just a few minutes. But here's the second thing we need to understand in our rich study of God's goodness, and that is that God's goodness is clearly seen in creation, in revelation, we'll define that in a second here, and in redemption. So you might be wondering right now, well, Jamie, my life's not going very well, and you know, I, I do have some circumstances in which you know, God could change, but he doesn't, so you're telling me he is good. How is he good? And let's consider this for just a few minutes. First, consider God's goodness as seen simply and powerfully in the fact that he made this world and he originally made it good. But look at Genesis chapter one, verse 31. It says, and God saw everything he made, and behold, it was, say this phrase with me, very good. So when God made this world, he made it as a result of who he is, which as we just established, is good. And how is it good, you might ask? Well, consider first, you. Psalm 139 says it this way, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O Lord, my soul knows it very well. So the Bible declares that when you were made, that you are an intricate, creative, functional, willful, thinking, breathing, feeling creature, and don't miss this, that is a sign of God's goodness to you. And so no matter what your problems are today, Cactus Venue Chapel, Shay, when you guys came in here today, no matter what problems you dragged in here that are discouraging you today, I want you to lift your sights beyond them right now and realize that life itself, the fact that you exist as a human being made in the image of God, intricately and wonderfully designed is a sign of his goodness to you. Let's just get down to brass tacks. You were not born a cat. You were not born a worm. You were not made a rock or a twig. God could have made you anything he wanted to. Just look around you. There's lots of inanimate objects around you. There's lots of animals around you. You're not them. You are created wonderfully and beautifully in his image. And even though things might get difficult at times in your life, the perfect sign of his goodness to you is that you're alive, Christian, and you're breathing. 
and you can praise him and you can see him for his goodness. Now, that's just a starting point. Much more quickly, we know that on top of just being alive, God blesses us at times, right? So this is what the psalmist means when he says this, Psalm 103, verse five, that God satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The implication of good here is good things. That's how the New American Standard Bible and the King James translates it. And then it will go on in this other Psalms that talk about the fact that God clothes you and gives you food and shelter and all these things. So, so Ecclesiastes nails it when it says this, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift or the gift of God. And so your money, your car, your house, your vacation, your 401k, even your toys, here's what you need to know. It is not an accident that you have those things. Scottsdale would tell you that you've earned them, that you're the one that worked for them, and that you even deserve them. I hope you don't believe that today because the mere fact that you earned them came from a body that was given to you by who? Say his name with me, God. And breath that was given to you by who? Say it with me. God and energy that came from who? Say it with me, God. So he says, because I'm your creator, because I've given you the gift of life and any success you have, don't you dare take any credit for that. So we're gonna see in a minute, what he's gonna say is, just say thank you to me. Just praise me for my goodness and stop whining to me when things don't go your way. Recognize that I am good and that my goodness has been showered upon your life. It will do your soul very good to realize that. And then very quickly before we move on, (laughs) you're gonna love this one. Uh, God has shown his goodness to us by his revelation, by his revealing himself to us and giving us redemption, the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus Christ. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared that means Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. So a sign of God's goodness to you is that he sent Jesus. And he could have left you in his sin, but he decided not to. And so even though he created you and you're fearfully and wonderfully made and he's blessed you to a certain measure, but because you're fallen and separated from you, he sent Jesus to bring you back to himself. And again, we talk about this all the time here, I just need you to see today that this is a sign of his goodness to you. And so the next time, here's my point, I know I've already hammered this home, but but this is so important to me because this is the key to my spiritual life, gang. The next time you think you got nothing, the next time you wonder where God is in your life and what he is up to, I want you to remember his goodness. That at core he is good, it never wanes, it will never wane, and it's all around you his goodness, and that if you could open your eyes and see his goodness that is shown to you in giving you life, this world, your friends, your family, and most importantly, your salvation in Jesus Christ, before you know it, something starts to well up in your soul, and maybe you can even do what Paul the Apostle did. This has always blown my mind. He looked at the biggest problems in his life, and you remember what he called his problems in in, in Corinthians? He says, these lights and momentary struggles that I have. By the way, he was talking about being beaten up 
put in jail, having his possessions taken from him, shame to no end. I mean, like things that probably don't happen to you and I on a regular basis. And Paul the Apostle labeled those things light and momentary struggles. When was the last time you called your deepest problems that? How could he do that? Because <clears throat> he knew the goodness of God. He added up who God is and what God had already done in his life and said those things, man, they outweigh anything bad that could happen to me in my life. That's how the dude could be in jail singing songs to God because he knew the goodness of God. So what do I want to do with this? We got about 10, a little bit, 10 and change left uh, before we go to our elder fund offering. What do I want us to do with this? Two take-home commitments I want you to, to take with you today. And, and the first one I've already hinted to, and that is simply to regularly thank God for his goodness. Uh, regularly thank God for his goodness. I, I like how J.I. Packer in his groundbreaking book, Knowing God, says it so clearly. He says, appreciate the goodness of God. Count your blessings. Learn not to take natural benefits, endowments, and pleasures for granted. Learn to thank God for them all. You know what's so powerful about this one is that in my life, and again, I'll just apply it to me, what I've learned to do with this trait of thankfulness is to insert it into my daily world in the most unlikely situations. In other words, it's one thing to thank God when you feel like thanking him, right? Like when it's Thanksgiving or when things are going well or when you've been blessed and you kind of throw up a prayer and say, thanks God. That's good to do. But have you ever tried thanking God when the chips are down? Have you ever tried thanking him when you're beginning to cop an attitude toward him? You, you talk about a way to defeat Satan in your life. You talk about a way to combat the negative influences of your life. Thank him when things start to look bleak. So I'm walking into a meeting. We've had some difficult things in our church lately, as you guys know, and when I'm walking into a meeting or I get some news that I don't wanna hear, I'll immediately say, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you don't give me more than I can bear. Thank you that you're always with me. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And I just find myself thanking God. And you know what that does to my attitude? It starts to change it, or at least I don't get as cynical as I can get in my life. I thank him at seemingly inopportune times. And it really, really works. The first response God looks for in his children in light of his goodness is for us to thank him for his goodness. Now. Here's the second thing I want you to take home with you today, and this is gonna be a taller order than even the first one, but this is really the key for you and I for the rest of our lives, and that is to determine to taste more of his goodness. Now, what do I mean by that? There's a, a great uh, psalm that really is written about the goodness of God, Psalm 34, and in verse eight, look at what it says about God's goodness. I love this psalm. Many of you have read it before. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I like how it says it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And one of the things that I need you to notice about this passage is that it's not talking about a one-time tasting or seeing, but the implication is for you and I to taste and see and then keep on tasting and seeing for the remainder of our days 
this goodness of God. To make your life an ever-increasing journey, an ever-increasing road of tasting and seeing God's goodness and then commit to it more and more as you go along. And somebody's saying, well, what, what might that mean for me? One of the things that I think uh, keeps Christians down is that we kind of, and I know all of you have noticed about Christians, we kind of get stuck in our Christianity. We get what I call myopic, focusing on one aspect of our Christianity. And believe it or not, people around you know you for that. Some of you are activists. Some of you are rationalists. That some of you are materialists. That some of you ha have a focus in your life and you've tied your Christianity to it. And people even know you for this. They might even say, well, you know, that's just Ed. That's just Diane. That's just Mark. That's just Lori. You've heard people say that about you. And in one sense, that's nice. But one of the things that keeps us from doing is breaking out of our mold you ready for this? And then tasting and seeing the goodness of God in broader ways. What do I mean by this? Well, let's walk through a couple of these scenarios. Um, if you're a seeker here today, meaning you have yet to really come to believe in God and his grace and his goodness and this provision of Jesus for you, then you can understand a lot of what I'm saying to you today. You can understand that you're made in the image of God and that you've been blessed with certain things and you might even be saying, yeah, I can recognize the goodness of God. But, but until you break out of your seeker mold, you'll never go the next step in understanding God's goodness. So what's the next step for you? Salvation. The next step for you is to believe in Jesus Christ and to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, to give your life over to him, as I've said kind of in the slang for years, to say uncle to him, don't really call him Uncle Jesus, but just say uncle in the sense of I give in, I give up, you are my savior, I surrender my life to you. See, here's what will happen if you do that, and that's that you will now be propelled into a new realm of tasting his goodness, amen? You, you will, oh my gosh, you guys are asleep today. I'm trying here, I'm the one who's sick, all right? Amen? Yeah. All right, so you're never gonna get seekers to believe in Jesus with that attitude. So <laughs> seeker, you need to go to salvation and taste his goodness on a deeper level. Now, you ready for the next one? Once you come to salvation, you're now a young believer. In other words, you're kind of wading in the pool of salvation there, and your next step now is to start to experience God through what? His word. Man, read this thing, like know this thing, backwards and forwards, and, and as you do, what are you gonna start to taste and see? Say it with me, his goodness. You're gonna start to see the goodness of God on the pages of scripture, but more importantly, revealed now to you. You're gonna have what I call aha moments. I have them all the time, where I'm reading the scriptures, even after now, almost 40 years of knowing Jesus, I'm reading the scriptures and I go, Lord, never knew that. Whoa, never knew that jumping off the page at me, insights into God. Could that really be true about who he is? If that's true, he is so good. And he's good to me. And you start to experience him in your word. Now you're breaking into a whole new realm of understanding God. You're tasting and seeing the Lord is good from seeker to salvation to the word. Now, let's go to the next step. 
There are some Christians, and you're known for this, I used the word earlier, you are what we know as Christian rationalists. In other words, man, you are Scottsdale Bible Church incarnate, aren't you? Like you know the word inside and out. You email me with intricate questions. Like I'm just going, really? I don't, I don't even think things like that. And I love you for it. Man, you are a Christian rationalist. You know the word. But did you know that God wants you to taste and see more of his goodness that is simply found than just simply understanding him intellectually in his word? Did you know that? And you're saying, what is that for me? <laughs> you're not gonna like this. Start to worship him. Some of you say to me, man, I hate it when you get like this, Jamie. It's like you're judging us. Like I am worshiping God. Here's my simple point. Tell your face if you're worshiping God. <laughs> because when I look around, and I do love you guys, I do, I love you. But when I look around, I just go, oh my God, I can tell you're not gonna be that way in heaven. I promise you. You are not gonna sit there in church in heaven going, God is so good. You're not gonna be doing that. Man, you're gonna be before the throne with both arms raised high. And you're gonna be singing joyfully before the throne of God. And you're gonna be expressive and your heart's gonna be in it and your mouth is gonna be going and God won't have to say, tell your face that you're worshiping. <laughs> and my simple point is, is if that's gonna be what it is in heaven, Christian rationalists, then you might wanna start preparing now. And some of you go, well, I don't like the music. Oh, <laughs> do I even need to go into that? <laughs> Again, here's my theology on that one, is that when you're in heaven, you're not gonna be sitting in a corner of heaven going, I don't like this song. You're not. <laughs> you're gonna be singing. And you go, well, what's changed? You've changed. That's why you're gonna be singing in heaven. It's not that the, well, the songs are gonna be better in heaven, but, 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 but you're gonna have a renewed body, a renewed mind, your soul's gonna be knit to God, and you're gonna wanna worship him no matter what the song is, amen? You will. And so practice now. I love you guys to death, but man, for the other campuses and venues, just indulge me a second here. You know, we were singing those three songs earlier. They were both, all three great songs, a choir and orchestra. The first two are not as well known. I get that, even though we know them, we've taught them to you. But that third one, which was the hymn what? Blessed Assurance, man, I was in glory. Part of the reason I was in glory is because the second we started singing that, every one of you joined in. You did. And I wanted to get up and say, man, nobody sings hymns like Scottsdale Bible Church. You guys are great when it comes to the hymns, and I love it, man. You belt them out. And I, I actually stopped singing. It's the only time I stopped, just so I can hear you, because it makes my heart feel so good. My point is, why can't we do the other two songs like that? Please, whether it's your song or not, learn it. Sing it, Christian rationalist you will now start to understand more of the goodness of God to you and you'll be glad. I'm not done yet. Now, for those of you who have gone from seeker to believer to the word to worship, uh, there's a temptation at this point to be kind of an independent Christian. In other words, okay, I got me, I got God, I got the Bible, I got my worship. And then you're tempted to think, well, I really don't need other people but you're robbing yourself of tasting and seeing how good he is. And so you need to move into the realm of fellowship.
And again, I'm not gonna belabor this, but you go, oh, I've been down that road. I tried a small group and it stunk. And you know, I, I've tried other believers and there are pains. I get that. I gotta deal with you guys all week. I, I understand that. But if you ever wanna be surprised by joy, if you ever wanna see God use another believer in your life and vice versa, you gotta start getting those relationships going. Regularly connecting with other Christians. But whether you like them or not, because again, heaven's an amazing thing. Guess what? Here's the deal. In heaven, you're going to like everybody. I promise you. So again, what's changed in heaven? You have. So what's the problem here on earth? You are. So the reality is, is that if you can repent of that and start to realize you need other people, you're going to start to see and taste the goodness of God to you. Now, this is my favorite one, the next one. And that's that even once you've gotten to the point of, of seeker to believer, and then to the word, and then to worship, and then to fellowship, if you think closely about it, you are now what we call a consumer Christian, right? In other words, you're taking, 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 taking. You're taking from the word, you're taking from worship, and now you're, you're taking from other people and maybe giving back a little bit, hopefully, but, but you're in a consumer mindset, which is really one of the illnesses of American Christianity, that, that we just live this consumer life when it comes to our faith. And the only way out of that to taste and see the Lord's goodness is to begin serving getting out of yourself, caring more about other people than you care about yourself. And it doesn't even just mean having a service position at your church, though that might be a good start, but every moment of every day, asking yourself, how can I serve? How can I serve? How can I serve? How can I love others? How can I focus on them? You know what happens when you do that? You're gonna start to taste and see how good God is as you start to see his action in other people. I don't even know where I'm at in my notes right now, so this is good. Ah, yes, and one last thing. And once you become an activist Christian, because we got a lot of you there, and that's good, the last thing you need to remember now, because now you're like in go mode, right? Now you've gone from seeker, you know, to salvation, to the word, to worship, you know, and, and to fellowship, and, and to service, and now you're going to be like really tired. And what does the Bible say there? Get alone with God. Have some downtime. Have a Sabbath. Every Monday, almost every Monday, I do nothing when it comes to church. I believe the commandment that says to have a Sabbath day of rest. And on that Sabbath day, it's just me and God. I include my wife too. I might be hiking. I, I, I might just be reading. I might be doing something just to settle my soul down, but to connect back with him. And what happens on that day? I'm tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Do you see how it all comes full circle? There is new realms for you and I to taste and see that the Lord is good. Last thought, uh, Julian of Norwich, a wonderful 14th century mystic once said it this way, cleave wisely to the goodness of God. And there it is. Make it your goal for the rest of your life to taste and see, to cleave wisely to his goodness because I promise you, as I started in the beginning here, if you can start to understand more deeply and richly and make it your life goal to tap into the goodness of God in your life, I promise you, it will revolutionize your walk with God. You'll no longer be a victim. You won't be playing a blame game. You'll keep a good attitude when things go south. You'll understand that he is good and can do no other and that his goodness is there for you.
Before we go to our elder fund offering, why don't you bow with me and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that you've had me in a headlock for almost 40 years when it comes to this idea of your goodness and that you draw me close to you and remind me every time I try to weasel out of it that you are good and can do no other. And that though, Lord, it can be sometimes very confusing to understand your goodness in light of the fallenness of this world, the worst thing we could do would be to doubt your goodness. And so may we not do that today. May we be men and women of faith who look squarely at you and never doubt your goodness, but honor it and allow that to bathe deeper and richer into our souls. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.